0: This is a crowd podcast.
2: This episode is sponsored by Professor Chris Getty. To be more like Chris, go to patreon.com forward slash Show
1: and grow the show today. It's the Joe Show, you're sitting on a front row Always helping you grow all the things that you know So vote with your feet, tell the people you meet And if you want a treat, reach for a bag of meat
2: Hello and welcome to our show
1: I'm Joe Marler, and this is Tom Fordyce. Hello, Tom. Nice nice to see you, Joe. You're wearing a short sleeve T-shirt today, which shows off your magnificent physique and also your sleeve of tattoos. Yeah. Which is going to lead me to a terrible segue, because pirates were famous for their tattoos, Joe. And do you know who we've got on the show today? We've got a pirate we've got a man who actually doesn't like pirates because he was held hostage by pirates, Joe. Tom Hanks. It's, do you like that film, by the way? It's oh, not Tom Hanks, but...
2: I am the captain now.
1: I am your captain now.
2: Oh, you did it better. So we're getting a real-life version of that on? Yeah. Fucking hell. This could get, you know, pretty deep. I think it will do. Oh, I'm excited then. But in, like in a, in a non-belittling way, I'm excited to hear this story. It could be... Very captivating. See what I've done there? Captive. Fade. You look so pleased with yourself. Captive. He was held to captive by a captive. No? Go on. Let's get him on. Okay. Our guest today has been held hostage by Somali pirates. His name is Colin Freeman. Welcome. We, just to clarify, we, we are just normal people. We haven't <laughs> coaxed you into a secret Somali hostage situation again. And I'm looking at you now, I'm pretty sure you could handle us
0: anyway. don't know about that. We are stuck in a sort of dank basement, though. Yeah. Oh, well, God. not dank. Yeah, <laughs> it's immediately, yeah. like, oh, God, I'm inside. It's a bit hostage, isn't it? Yeah. a small, dark room, yes. I'm used to spending lots of time in small, dark uh, chambers with uh, men I've not met before. But, um. <laughs>
2: right, so this, this, as an opening <laughs> statement,
0: you were kidnapped by Somali pirates.
2: How the fuck did that happen?
0: Yeah, I was a reporter for the Sunday Telegraph. Chief foreign correspondent, indeed. And my job was travelling around the world, um, you know, covering stories as they broke, etc., etc., And in about 2008 the Somali piracy crisis started um, where Somali pirates were going out attacking shipping and I think later later that year they hijacked a big oil tanker worth about a hundred million dollars which was their equivalent of hijacking a sort of Spanish galleon full of gold would have been in the old days. So the officer said can you go to Somalia and find out a bit about how these pirates operate and what the local people think of them so on and so forth. So off we went. and uh, did, you, did you bite his hand off like when he said,
2: yeah, of course, I'd love to go to Somalia? Uh,
0: so, I mean, it was part of the job, was going to sort of, you know, dan- either dangerous places or, you know, kind of um, frontier kind of places, if you see what I mean. Um, I used to enjoy doing it, and I'd been there once before, um, although not to the pirate area. The pirate areas in the north of Somalia, and the fact that I'd been there once made me the office expert on Somalia. I don't think anybody else <laughs> had... I'd been there. Oh, so. yeah, Somalia. You've got Colin yeah. go down there, yeah? Yeah. Carl's um, been
2: there before, hasn't he? Yeah, get him down there.
0: Yeah. So uh, the idea was we would go to this town called Basasso, which is a town on the northern Somali coast, where you won't see Long John Silver wandering down the road um, with his parrot on his shoulder, <laughs> but you're, you're close to the... You're on the pirate coast, and there are pirate camps up and down the, the coastline on this very long, empty, remote coastline where there's you know, not much law and order and you in bosaso itself which is quite a poor run down port town um you see evidence a bit of pirate money you sort of get a sense that things are going on and so what you do is you to stop yourself getting kidnapped you hire bodyguards usually through your local translator or fixer as you the, do yeah these are not sas bodyguards uh these are not sort of highly trained men um they are kind of usually your fixers clansmen or your fixer's cousins or your fixer's cousins friends or your fixer's friends cousins seven or eight guys all with kalashnikovs um you pay them about 20 bucks a day each and you have to hope that they will you know be enough to kind of keep other people at bay it's a bit like the scarecrow principle basically if you've got enough armed men hanging about most people will think twice about doing anything Or another way of putting it is it's a bit like when you used to go to football games in the old days. You get the kids sort of saying, mind your car for you, mister. Mm -hmm. Um, You can either say, yep, here you go and pay the money. Or you can say, no, no, I'll be fine on my own. Thank you. I don't need that sort of protection. Then you'll come back and find your car scratched. And so if you don't pay somebody to look after you, there's a chance that um, somebody might, you know, you might find yourself getting kidnapped after all. So... Your
1: bodyguards, Colin, you're trusting them, but not totally trusting them, which, as it turns out, is the right approach.
0: Yes, uh, we were there for about seven days, didn't meet any pirates at that point, uh, driving to the airport, so we're in one pickup truck, the bodyguards and another one driving behind us. Then all of a sudden, the as we're driving through a kind of town square, somewhere on the outskirts of Bissasso, their pickup truck shoots ahead of us, blocks our path, Two of the bodyguards jump out. I remember seeing one of them grabbing his gun, big snarl on his face. And they're arguing, they start shouting at our driver. Um, This is me and my fellow hostage, a guy called Jose, who you might hear about more later, a photographer from Spain. They start shouting at the uh, driver in Somalia. I'm thinking maybe they're just having an argument about which way to go. Traffic, that's why he's got his gun. (laughs) Yeah, and just making the point rather emphatically then they opened the doors of the car and they ordered us, ordered us out and I could tell they were being a bit aggressive, feet at the floor, still wondering a bit about what's going on. And then when they opened the boot of the car, my fellow hostage said, ah, shit. And I suddenly realised, mm, yeah, we are getting kidnapped. Uh, this must have been planned all along. And that was the moment that it all started, really.
2: Now, this may seem like a strange question, but bear in mind you've just described your line of work. It was your job to go out and discover these sort of stories in these places. At that moment, was there a small part of you that was actually, cool, this will make a good story? <laughs> or was uh, it just completely overwhelmed with, oh, fucking hell, I'm not making it out of this one?
0: A bit of both, actually, yeah. Uh, maybe not at that moment. At that initial moment, you just like... Oh. Oh, no. No, you know, no. no, no, no. Uh, Running's not an option. All that thought of like, you know, all this fun, glamorous going around the world, you know, going to Iraq or Afghanistan or going to war zones and stuff and then coming back and telling, writing the stories in the paper. And also the, the pub stories and everything else if you know, this, did that, you know. All sounds fun. And then you suddenly think, oh, no, I've I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew And quite apart from the fears for your own safety at that point and what is going to happen, you suddenly think, all right, shit, I've now dragged everybody else into it because this is going to mean my parents are going to be worried sick, my girlfriend is going to be worried sick, everybody who knows me is going to be worried sick and some at the office, my employers are going to be worried sick, you know, and I've now dragged them into this as well. So you actually think, like, you you selfish tit all those years. I love the fact you've got got a bloke
1: with a Kalashnikov pointing at your face and your first thought is, oh, you selfish
0: Selfish tit." tit. But first, few, first few minutes actually not quite. This came in within about 10, 15 minutes as we're getting driven away. So what, was, what was the uh, first
2: few minutes thoughts? First you like- few
0: minutes thought is like they're pointing the pointing a gun at me. Uh, shit, we are getting kidnapped. Should have seen this one coming. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Oh dear. And then, basically, you do. I just did exactly what I was told. I mean, you know, with hindsight, you sort of thought, well, maybe I should have... We're still in a relatively built-up area. Maybe you should have run away. Uh, if you'd made a sprint for it, I'm fairly fit. You could perhaps... Shouting and screaming, you could have maybe attracted a crowd, a commotion, and perhaps the gunman would have, you know, lost their nerve and put a scar put or whatever. Or shot you. Uh, or they could have shot you. Or more likely, you'd have just got a, a, a gun barrel in the face, and you'd have had a you know a, black, a nasty black eye and a bit of trauma to add to what else was going on, and also, frankly, like when someone's pointing a gun at your stomach, it's just like, yep, 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 I'll just do whatever you say, you know, sort of like that. And they, they could have told us to change the tire on the car and, you know, kind of pump up the tires a bit and wash the windscreen before we set <laughs> off. I'd have been fine. Yeah, you know, it's fine. You can put your guns down. No problem. You know? So and we drove out of the town. We are in the back of their pickup truck now. One um, of them's pointing a gun at me. Uh, Jose, my colleague, is sat in the car as well. And then there's, there's five or six of them in the back of the pickup truck pickup truck picks up speed. You can tell they've either done this before or they know what they're doing doing because as we drove out of town you go on into this sort of desert area it's full of big sand dunes, you know, almost like a you know, kind of beach side and the car is zooming over these sand dunes, you know, like a the guy's like a rally driver doing forty, fifty miles an hour. If it had been me we'd have crashed, you know, but he clearly knew what he was doing. Like marginally a proper, fun? Uh not <laughs> not really coming to mind at that, that point. Maybe on another day. If we'd yeah. done it pre you know, yeah. like yeah, uh, pre kidnap would have been quite fun. But um pre kidnap things were a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and you can sense that we're getting away further out of town and like they're kinda like, Yeah, we've pulled it off. Like a bunch of bank robbers kind yeah, yeah and all this. and we're sort of sitting in the back and, mm, shit. And that's the kind of point at which you start getting a bit introspective and thinking, actually this is not You know, I'm just balls of suck for myself. This is serious stuff for everybody back home. And the guilt starts kicking in. And um, you actually think, like, if this goes on for any length of time, if I'm stuck for, you know, days, months, weeks, whatever, then this is, you know, my parents were in their 60s at the time. This is the kind of thing that, you know, this is what stress really is. This is where stress can have a serious physical effect. I could get home and get told sorry Mum had a heart attack while you were out there, and there'd be no doubt why that was—you know—why that happened. So, yeah, it was—it was not pleasant. Shall we say? Yeah. The gang
1: leader is called Musa. Is mm. that right? What was he like? How did you said, How did you get to know him? Which makes it sound like you're sitting down and having a nice chat with social niceties uh, rather than having a Kalashnikov put
0: in your face. But did you get to know him? Not really no. Um, they were all none of them spoke English apart from a few words, very few words. They spoke a bit of Arabic, which is a language that is used in that part of the world a bit. I speak a little bit, just kind of you know conversation, not even conversational taxi Arabic and stuff like that. so we had very little proper conversation with them at all which was a shame in a way because it would have helped pass the time and it would have been interesting to have known a bit more about them but um, he was Musa was the, the leader of the gang he didn't say he was a man of few words even by these standards uh, he didn't say much big fella uh, looked like he could handle himself but they, he generally you know he never threatened us he never mistreated us and he ran a pretty tight ship he had an, a, a sort of sidekick who was the other guy in command a guy called Yusuf who again was reasonably friendly? I used to give him lessons in English to start off with. One of us trying to make pals with them. Did you teach uh, him swear words? Uh, <laughs> no, we were tempted to sort of uh, teach him like you know, hello. The way of saying hello in English was kind of you know, I am a stupid Somali kidnapper. <laughs> uh, uh, but we we didn't for some reason, just in case he did speak English and had realised. Imagine you uh, sat there, guy. Yeah.
2: Kind... You, this is how you say it, I'm a twat. That means that means you're you're a great chief, you're a great king, and all this lot. And you do, and then turn around and go, you fucking idiot. I've been speaking English the whole time, <laughs> but at least you had the last official laugh if that was the case before not being able to laugh anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, it's possible that they they would have had somebody who spoke English and who might well have kept himself very, very quiet uh. purely so that they could listen into what we were saying. I mean, I, I I, would have considered doing that if I'd been them, um, you know. So, so what, you...
2: what was your relationship like with, with them? Because I just, I immediately picture you've been kidnapped, you're going to be locked up, you get bare minimum food because I'm guessing I'd, I'd want to keep you alive for a ransom or whatever. Bare minimum food. But then you've just said you sat there and gave them English lessons.
0: Yeah, so they were they were pretty businesslike um, they, and very professional. So uh, about the first time we realised they were going to keep us alive was like, like after this drive through the desert, the car sort of drove up into a mountain range, very remote area, it looked a bit like Arizona or. You know, Utah National Park, lots of kind of windswept mountains and stuff like that. And we got to the point where we could go no further. We started walking up this hill at gunpoint, and then they stopped us in a clearing. And I thought at that point, maybe they're going kill, to just kill us here. And then one of them pulled out a a rucksack, delved into the rucksack, and pulled out Mars bars and um, bottles of water and your shoved sort them of
1: kidnapping, Janet.
0: In it shoved the matches. Eat, eat. You know, it's like being on a Boy Scout march. You know, time for break. Um, and at that point, we realised they were clearly going <laughs> to keep us alive and then they they sort of marched us more or less nonstop for the next two days like a kind of army yomp or whatever you call it um and got to this cave and then uh, that was the first of several caves that we spent time in some were proper caves some were just overhangs but um most of the time they just sort of left us you know to our own devices we had a campfire uh they would make tea we ate goat meat and rice um, three times a day, sometimes with spaghetti, sometimes with rice. Got a bit monotonous, but the food was okay. I suppose you could say they never generally harmed us. Really, it was in a rather beautiful place. The sort of thing if you were a backpacker, you would have paid, you know, a <laughs> hundred quid a day for that experience of being in this <laughs> really remote place. Man, with experience. It, you know? Yeah, and I did at one point say to the when we finally established sort of contact with the office back home i said to try and make them think that you know everything was okay i said actually you know if it would it would be you know it's a really beautiful place we're stuck in you know beautiful mountains it would be like having an adventure holiday if we weren't actually kidnapped (laughs) at which point the kidnappers they did have an interpreter a negotiator who was listening in on the call a somali guy who was there sort of Ally, and uh, he he scolded us afterwards. He said, "Don't start sending stuff like that. Don't start making making out like you're on hol- You think it's a holiday? Because the guys will get cross about that." so that was me told but, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah it was it was you know um, it could have been a lot worse you know change to a radiator in a darkened room or something like that so what did you do then did you just spend all your time talking to Jose pretty much yeah um typically we were they they had a mat for us like a raffia mat where we sat most of the time it was like the size of an average picnic rug or as we joked a double bed and we slept on that we ate on that and we sat around during the day on that so it i got to know jose my fellow hostage very very well very very quickly because he was the only other person i could talk to also i was keen to sort of you know just get an idea of how he felt about things because it had been my idea to go on this trip Ah, and um, he was a freelancer for the telegraph at the time he knew that part of the world, the Horn of Africa, quite well. So sometimes we would go with photographers who knew the area rather than somebody from the office. As we got driven away, I remember thinking, uh, "What if, like, he tries to escape from these guys? What's he going to be like dealing with them? Is he going to be too timid? Is he going to be too aggressive? Might he freak out? Might he blame me for all this? Yeah, say, I'll this offer is you your up fucking fault, you sure. jerk. You know. if it
2: was me and Tom, that's exactly the angle yeah. I'm going for. Uh, Tom, so, you
0: go.
1: It was his fault." Hmm. Take him first. You'd be worth more because they'd be thinking you've got a measure of celebrity. They'd be thinking yeah, RFU alright they? yeah. right, they've so had a few k- tough so years k- but they're minted.
2: Oh yeah, the RFU are gonna fork out for me, are they? How much you do you think? think the RFU were paying for being the you? RFU's relationship <laughs> over the years, yeah, that's gonna go down really, really. <laughs> if
0: they'd well. seen you yeah, if they found out that you were a kind of prominent, you know, sporting hero, um, then yes, you you would your, your stock would have been raised considerably. There's a possibility they would have done a kind of no offence, but they might have done a, dump, a deal. You you would have been sort of thrown in, yeah, free. Assuming the, RF, <laughs> assuming the RFU were willing to pay for the two of you, if they were. The like, RFU decent, don't want to pay for me. should negotiate. <laughs> they don't want they to pay have,
2: for me, mate. they do not fucking
0: pay for you. They would have said we want the the two of you. I'm just, the bog off part sort of this, of, am I? Know, <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually they did. These guys did demand money for both of us, and. Um, they sort of did it individually. They said, for you, $3 million, not for me. I thought, that was quite a lot, then, Decent, that's yeah, that's And fair. then they said, and for you, they turned to Hossein with a slightly different tone of voice. I thought they were going to say, like, you know, 500000 or something. And they said $3 million as well. So they, oh, at least yeah. they were.
2: Yeah, what, what what sort of conversation would that be if they go, Jose, you're five million, and you go, why? How the fuck is he two million more than me? Well, and then it causes mm-hmm. tension between you two. Mm-hmm. And you, your first thought is, hang on a minute, why are you were five million? Well, hang on, let's let's, let's mm-hmm. work this one out.
0: Just for your, for the benefit of your listeners, um, if you ever find yourself in this situation, mm-hmm. what uh, your what wh- whoever is charged with doing the negotiations will do. is a golden rule that you you never negotiate just for one person at a time you always say right it's it's the whole job lot or nothing. The thing
1: that will worry me about Jose Colin would be if he started behaving towards the kidnappers in a way that I didn't want him to behave.
0: He didn't really he was a little bit more assertive with them than I was I was Mr Nice you know kind of teaching the kidnap gang leader Yusuf a bit of English and you know things like that and he was Mr... Not quite so nice, Mr. Sort of slightly more assertive. And I think on, the, on about the first or second night as we were being marched through the mountains, um, at one point we got very, very thirsty. They ran out of water and, you know, it was hot weather. We were both getting quite dehydrated and eventually he turned around and said to them, "Like fuck you, I'm not walking another fucking step okay. unless I get some water. And one of them, this guy, an old fella called Miro, also known as the old bastard, for reasons <laughs> that will um, become apparent, he pulled his gun on him, and like so it was like, right, what, you know, you just get fucking moving. Jose just sat down, I think, and said, "I'll oh, pull your fucking gun on me. Shoot, shoot me if you want. I need water." And then there was a sort of murmur amongst them. like, And I think we dimly heard the word fuck mentioned as if they were a bit, like, shocked that he didn't, He swore at us. <laughs> Maybe one of
1: them would like, say, actually, Jose's got a valid point there. It's <laughs> yeah. really hot. We, I'm we baking.
0: Don't really know what happened. But anyway, off uh, someone went. Um, and th- these mountains were like, uh, I, th- I think it must have been the dry season. But, I mean, everywhere was dried up riverbeds. It was as bone dry as anywhere I have ever seen. But someone went off and duly returned with a full cherry can of water, which we then sipped in the dark. And I had a big long draft of it and then passed it over to Jose, uh, who then also had a big long draft of it and then suddenly choked and then, like, sort of spat something out into his hand. What? Uh, and I said, What's that, mate? And someone shone a torch. It was a dead lizard.
1: So oh, that, for fuck's um, sake! Well, so they're I, trying to fuck Jose over
0: for being a pain in the ass. No, I it? think it was just they stuck the water in the in oh. the in the spring <laughs> in this pool, which was possibly a bit stagnant, and there was a dead lizard in there, and it was dark and nobody really noticed. And uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it was deliberate, but. Um, Anyway, he do the short straw on that yeah, one. Had, I know. You had a lovely,
2: know. refreshing <laughs> glass of water, and then he's
0: eating a fucking dead lizard. Be also, being English to the last, I've sort of had a bit more water and then felt, felt obliged to offer it round to everybody else. <laughs> to even the though people who've imprisoned thirsty. you. Yeah. yeah. Go on, um, lads. They were find were fine. We don't need any... Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he he was a little bit more um, sort of uh, assertive. But it would have been a real problem, and I can guess it probably is, if you have two people of very different characters. One wants to kind of give the kidnappers jip and so on. You know, because there's a risk that that will then come back on both of you, you know. But you, you do have to be trying and establish certain boundaries so that you get treated reasonably well. You, might, you can't be too be too sort of passive, as it were. I would very much like to hear more about this old bastard
2: Who's, you mentioned this Miro, this old bastard, this old guy. Mm. What,
0: was he literally old? He was, yeah. He was about, I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, he, I would have put him at about 50, 55 or something. Um, he looked like a grandpa. Yeah, he was bald. Um, I think his job was basically to try and make it clear, you know, sort of act as an enforcer every now and again. And from um, fairly early on they made contact with our office the telegraph in london and they were they were demanding money i'm not sure they were getting anywhere with that um the office made it f- fairly clear no we're not paying ransoms for journalists etc etc um <laughs> so I just pitched them
2: going it's fine mate have them. We've we got uh, another coming through. He's notoriously he's, late
0: on his deadlines. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and so uh, about a fortnight in, what had previously been a fairly cordial atmosphere with the games of chess and everything else slightly began to change. And they're like, you know, your office isn't doing what it should do. And at this point, this guy, um, the old bastard, Miro, his attitude began to change. And he used to just spend his entire time eyeballing me from the far side of the cave. Every time I looked up, he'd be sat in a different spot, you know, no matter where, where he was, but he'd always be like, you know, sometimes from afar, sometimes kind of quite close, just doing a bit of psychological, you know, intimidation. And then uh, we had a phone call back to the office, one of these proof-of-life phone calls that we would make every five days, um, which was in the kidnapper's interest. This is their way of proving, you know, we were in there, you know, that they had us, um... And it also proved to the office that we were still alive. And so we would chat to somebody at the other end of the phone for five minutes or something, just saying, yeah, hi, yeah, we're still here. Anyway, on one of these calls about a fortnight in, um, they would make them from the top of a mountain where they'd get a decent mobile phone reception. And um, just before I was handed the phone, um, the old bastard, he started um, cocking his rifle, his Kalashnikov, in a very sort of theatrical fashion, you know, sort of drawing the bolt back like this. And like as if he's very much ready for when I get on the phone, he's going to do something nasty, and I'm thinking, oh Christ, you know, he's gonna, he's he's either going to he's going to sort of fire the gun in my eardrum or he's going to belt me over the face or something like that, you know, so that I'm screaming down the phone, just get me the fuck out of here, pay him the fucking money, I know, you know, whatever. Um, and um, on that occasion, like he, nothing happened. In fact, his mates then came up and dragged him off. Um, while he was stood in front of me, I come on, old bastard, leave him alone! He's yeah. phoning home. <laughs> uh, and then they sort of dragged him down the down the hillside, out of sight. And uh, so I had a brief conversation with the officer. I said, uh, you know, I, I knew that they had one of the, their translator was the pirate translator um, was listening in. So I was a bit careful about what I said. But I said, I think things are getting a bit heated here. You know, they're sort of um, threatening me a little bit, and so on. Um, and then we got back to the cave and then this guy, the old bastard, was there, by then was sitting happily around the campfire joking with the other two. So we couldn't quite work out what was going on, whether they they genuinely worried that he was getting carried away or whether the whole idea was to have a bit of theatre to us. So like it's like, look, you know, we dragged him off this time, but seriously, people around here are getting a bit annoyed at your office. So, look, you know, just try and get things resolved before folk get carried away and, you know, we can't be responsible for them. It was a bit, it was all a bit confusing, but it was bloody frightening. Um, and from that moment onwards, I was like, you know, if this doesn't work out, these guys are, may well start torturing us. And every time I looked at the bloke from that point, you know, every time he was within view, which was most of the time, it was just, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, they, they don't, you know, they, they don't need to torture you to put the fear of God in you, basically. That was the kind of, you know, the atmosphere that prevailed for the last sort of few weeks of the, of the whole thing.
2: So that was with your office. Those conversations have been happening. So the office is aware of what's happened yeah. to you. You've been kidnapped. They're asking for a ransom. What about your family? What about your friends and Never family? No, I spoke to them, yeah. So did the office tell them? Yeah. And then what? They would
0: relay it back, yeah, yeah. Um, Fucking that hell. Is, that is a uh, standard procedure in these cases is that what they tend to do is with, with profession, they, they bring in professional hostage negotiators. And one of the things is that there's only one line of communication, with, that's them and the kidnappers, and you. The calls are pretty business-like. You get occasional messages from families saying, you know, hope you're okay with thinking of you. You can pass one back, just something brief. But the idea is that if they that they, they generally keep families uh, in the dark, largely as to what is going on. It's very much a limited information flow. For example, my family didn't find out anything at the time about the, the threats that we were getting, and the idea of that is really just that it keeps the, the, the job of negotiation simple and it also avoids any potentially very stressful situations for the family if they're ringing you and, you know, they hear that you're in very difficult emotional circumstances. And, it, you know, families find it hard being in the dark, but in this situation it's probably much better to be in the dark than actually be, you know actively involved in it because if if they knew what was going on some of the time it would've just done their head in even more, you know. So it's it's not much of a choice either way. But There's part of me that
2: when I watch films and stuff like that and in these situations I'll be like if Moose is yeah. pointing a Kalashnikov at me, I'd go, Yeah, fucking I'm just gonna take I'm gonna <laughs> flip it. Flip it. Mm. Like uh, Jackie Chan in Rush Hour, you know, mm-hmm. when he does that gun move mm-hmm. where you point the gun Amazing. and it's back at him. I'll be like, well, I'll just... Obviously, you fuck it. Why is he not grabbing the gun? Why didn't you grab the gun? Obviously, you grab it and then be like, yeah, who's in charge now, motherfuckers? Like that's what I think when I watch situations like that. Yeah. That's what I do. Mm. Now I've actually met someone who's been in that situation. You've described that situation to me. I go, there's no fucking way I'm doing any of that. I'm just going to go... Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. You want me to polish your shoes? You want me to wipe your own ass? Like, what? I'd do anything for do anything for you because I'd be scared shitless. What about you?
1: I find myself wondering, Colin, how you pass the time. That's why I asked about what the conversations you had with Jose. Of all the emotions you think you'd have when you were kidnapped, you wouldn't think about boredom. You would think about abject terror. But were you bored at times?
0: Yes. I mean, <laughs> as I say, the really, really bored. The, the first few days. Like Jose and I sort of spent bonding. Really, it was like a classic sort of buddy bonding movie sort of thing, where you you chat a bit and you know you sort of say, right, look, we're in a bit of a weird situation. How did you get into journalism? How did you nice. do this? How did you do that? And we we had a sort of bonding moment. I think we were talking about people we we various colleagues in foreign news journalism that we knew and stuff and the real breakthrough actually came across when we we were talking about some other photographer who we both realized was a right pompous twat I was like you know there's nothing like bitching about you know finding somebody you can bitch about to sort of you know bring out the laughter and we had there was lots of room for erudite conversation we'd also talk about our sex lives (laughs) our work lives our parents blah, blah blah you know basically everything and anything under the sun and then as time went on, though, uh, you, you start the ration conversation a bit. So if we came across something interesting like, you know, we're talking about a Western movies or something like that. We were both quite fans of Western movies. So I don't know, hang on, we, we'll stop. We won't talk about Westerns now. We'll save that for this evening. We'll have a Western night. A <laughs> Western night. <And then, laughs> uh, <laughs> excellent idea kidnap you're then, going
2: yeah tonight's western night yeah uh, tomorrow we'll do uh, crime and thriller uh, yeah, yeah
0: it was yeah it was like, it was like the, not not unlike you two in a podcast yeah you know uh, and then you'd have okay and then tomorrow night would be a horror night then we had a kind of an evening with Quentin Tarantino so on and so forth so you, you ration your conversation but the problem is that after a while I mean what we we sustained this for about a fortnight and, you know, got to know each other very well. And I realised this guy is actually, you know, far from just being a tolerable kidnapping companion, he's actually a really, really nice fella. I'm making a, a friend for life here. Something really special, actually, which actually, you know, kept you going through all this other you know, grimness. So this is something that we can take out of this. But after, you know, fortnight and three weeks in, the, the conversation begins to lag. And that is when it gets... A bit scary because you you start just spending hours in the morning you, you don't have the effort to converse that's when time starts slowing down a minute seems like an hour an hour seems like a day and so on and so forth and you daydream quite a lot you know you think about things in your you know you think about sort of uh school your old teachers at school girls you used to fancy at school things you've done in your life stories you've done you know anything else whatever but you know, even that becomes difficult after a bit and that's when it I suppose it, it begins to feel a bit like being in solitary confinement, um without any distractions because your companion is no longer really kind of entertaining you and you've got nothing to occupy your mind with and that's when you sort of start thinking, like, how much longer can I deal with this before I start going a bit do lally, yeah. I found myself wondering, Colin, if you could play
1: this is a ridiculous question, if you could play any games you might be like, right, let's see who can hit that rock with these stones.
0: Yeah, we did about that. Um, so we had a, to start off with about day three, we made a chess set out of bits of cigarette foil and pebbles. Didn't look, look like a proper chess set. But so
1: you wrapped like, the, the stones you, in the cigarette paper. You papers. take
0: a little tiny pebble, then you wrap some cigarette foil around it. One, like, pawns are like a spot, a little kind of wispy yeah, spire, nice. and then you you kind of make a hook, a hook out of the bit of cigarette end foil for the some other pieces I'm really yeah. disappointed actually yeah. Andy Dufresne
2: in fucking <laughs> Shawshank he yeah. managed to make you must have had loads of rocks available to you did you not have a rock hammer no. to carve it to yeah. be I didn't think about it, him actually yeah, the yeah. guy from
0: Shawshank yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so we made a chess set but I mean I, and I think that there was a bit of sort of Birdman of Alcatraz triumphing mm. and adversity sort of thing but after a few games of chess uh, it got I started getting bored with we did used to do it just to sort of Bit of mental. He was better. Your exercise. Jose? Well, that was the other thing. He was better. He? <laughs> uh, I think he quite enjoyed it. But um, of course he did. Yeah. After, bit. You, you in know. fact,
2: imagine what he was saying about you. He's like yeah. fucking hell, He stopped playing <laughs> chess with me. Just I'm gonna have to let him win a couple now.
1: Yeah. I can see him like chalking up on the inside of the the cave wall with like a tally chart. How many wins he'd got. Well,
0: um. After, but so uh, I then we, we then did a whole load of kind of. Um, letters on bits of cigarette foil, and I thought we'll, we'll do Countdown instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that will work really well. Um, get, one but, of the,
2: get one of the captors to do the theme music.
0: Well, yeah, no, I, I did do the theme music. I just said that you get 30 seconds. I think well, I gave us a minute just to make it a bit longer. <laughs>
2: a bit fibrous, oh, but
0: let's treat ourselves <laughs> let's have an
2: extra minute or something
0: he was like you know I'm going to put on his accent he was like oh what the fuck is this you play this as a, t- a game on TV in uh, <laughs> in uh, in Britain what the fuck you know it's boring man and who the uh, fuck watches
1: this and you're going bum 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 yep, bum, exactly. bum 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 bum
0: uh, all that yeah um, uh, so yeah you, Countdown only like it, it took a long time to get the, the letters done your, ca- then, your
2: captors must yeah. they, they must have turned around and gone, no wonder no one wants to fucking pay for him to have them no, back he's losing their nut
0: and then I think we got about two games out of it um, and that, that was it yeah unfortunately the Countdown was not a success um, what else did we, we had a press ups competition mm. with with the kidnappers oh. where yeah, I beat from all- old. I beat the old bastard. Um, now, now this uh, explains why he's was in a Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then a thing where we were sort of crazy golf where we, we got <laughs> sticks and whacked a, a lime, like a, yeah. like a lem- lime as in a lemon, but not a lemon, if you see what I mean. Uh, so somebody's lime. had some limes. I don't know where they came from. Uh, <laughs> and, uh,
2: <laughs> the description and we, of that lime was fantastic. <laughs> so you've just said, so yeah, we had like a lime, you know, like a lemon, but
0: like a lime.
2: So you mean a lime?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just well, otherwise you would have wanted to know where did the limes come from. Yeah, fair. And the truth is, I can't remember. Uh, but because um, it was basically goat meat, rice, and limes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'd kind of hit hit the limes around the kind of cave. It wasn't wasn't really didn't really work very well. No windmills. No, no windmills. What was, was the par? Eh? What was par? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't very easy. I think it was whatever you chose to make it. yeah. Um, <laughs> And then um, I think games-wise, that was um, that was about it really. Yeah, sing, it songs. sing songs, sing no. songs. No, they wouldn't allow it. Or no. Um, and then the other thing was talking about football with the kidnappers, mm. which was the only thing that they had any kind of our only lingua franca. United supporters. I was going to say all Man well, United. No, Arsenal. Um, Arsenal. So um, on about the fourth day, our first proper conversation with one of the kidnappers, a guy called Fizer, he was a young kid about eighteen, nineteen, and he came up to uh, us and he said, "You." From where are you? Uh, And they went, ah, Britain, Britain, good. Uh, You know, Manchester United, David Beckham, uh, Thierry Henry. Uh, And I was like, oh, blimey, this guy knows football. So um, (laughs) I thought, right, well, we'll try and build up a rapport here, you know, so... Uh, I will try and show my knowledge of football. Unfortunately, I know sod all about football. <laughs> More of a snooker person. So I went... Um, have you heard
2: of uh, Ron o- o- Ronnie O'Sullivan? Yeah,
0: Ken uh, Doherty? Or Te- Terry Griffiths, Steve- might yeah. Steve Davis? Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: he's a DJ now, I think. He is,
0: yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, 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 I said to him, Ah, Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry, Arsenal! Uh, and his face sort of clouded over. Mm. What have I said, you know? Uh, He said, ah, no, Thierry Henry, Barcelona. And my colleague Jose said, yeah, he's right, Thierry Henry transferred to Barcelona last year. So suddenly you're sort of in this situation where you've got a kidnapper in the mountains of Somalia correcting you on your knowledge (laughs) of the Premier League transfer market,
1: yeah. (laughs) And... There's no nice way to say this. Then you would go off and have to wipe your ass on a stone.
0: Yes, well, not a stone, as it happened. We like there was, as you would have imagined, in these. How have
2: you got? How have you segued from that to that? <laughs> Fuck's sake, Tom.
0: Um, so yeah, we're out in the middle of, it, it, literally in the middle of nowhere. You know, um, in these caves, in these mountains, there is clearly no toilets. So you had to go and do your business, sort of in sort of a convenient spot round the corner from the cave. And the first time we went. Uh, we sort of said, look, we need to shit. Uh, what do we do? And they just put, one of them sort of picked up a rock and said, yeah, use that or whatever. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm not using a rock. And uh, so we said, have you got any tissue? And they, they, it turned out they had. I tried using a rock. It, well, it didn't really work. And you don't really want to go. Uh, well, what you actually do is you get a bit of water and then you just stick it in your hand. like, um, it rinse. But, I mean, yeah, so you, you, you get very used to the sight of your own you know, stuff, and um, your uh, friend's, um, you know, products as well. Tell us about this gunfight, Colin. Not long, I think it was about the day after the old bastard had kind of given the threats down the phone. The next day, um, a couple of other fellas, other sort of uh, Somali guys came to the cave and we used to get people dropping in every now and again, you know, and they'd come in and they'd have a quick gawk at us, you know, like the sort of animals in the zoo. And then they'd, they'd head off. And We never really knew any of these people were. Our guess was that they were probably local clansmen or herders or something like that who owned or whose territory we were on and whom the kidnappers were perhaps paying a certain amount of um, money to, you know... To rent rent. a cave, cave, yeah, sort of thing, you know, and to turn a blind eye, but we never really knew. Anyway, uh, and sometimes the atmosphere would be friendly and tea would be poured, Um, you know, so I come in, yeah, whatever. Other times on this occasion, it was notable there was no tea poured, yeah. And everybody was like, oh, OK, right. And there was this sort of, was a bit of a kind of um, conversation between these two guys and, and our, our fellas. You know, it was about a dozen of our guys there. Then suddenly we heard the voices getting raised and then there was a bit of pushing and shoving. And then somebody, I can't remember whether it was our lot or the other lot, pulled a pistol, fired it into the roof of the cave. Uh, caves are not a good places to fire guns into because <laughs> of the the ricochet risk. This bullet went like that, ricocheted round the place, grazed the mattress where Jose and I were sitting. Not the um, mattress. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Then, like, there was further kerfuffle and these two guys got shoved out of the cave and told to, you know, leave. And we couldn't really see what was happening at that point. But they were chased out of the cave and then, like, about five seconds later we had sort of several gunshots. And I think it, we we somehow tweaked that it was our lot chasing this lot away. It, was, it wasn't it was like they were actually, you know, you couldn't hear screaming or anything. So they hadn't been shot dead. It was kind of like, you know, handbags at dawn a bit. But it was still a bit, you know, like, this is getting a bit out of hand. And then a few minutes later, from the top of a, a sort of a ridge, a mountain ridge that overlooked the mouth of our cave, which was quite wide. It was more just an overhang in the rocks. We saw two other fellas pointing down with guns who started shooting down into the cave, clearly mates of the guys who'd just been told to clear off. And so at that point, the sort of bullets had kind of gone, you know, it was just like one of those... Wild West, West movies you see where people are shooting at each other in a valley. Joe, you did the bullet noises while Colin tells his story.
2: Yeah, but Colin's bullet noises were really good. I, I was just about to say, <laughs> fucking hell, he's perfected them. Now that was a cat. <laughs> <laughs> there was was
1: there a cat in the
0: cave?
2: No. Was like, oh, no. I'll, I'll ignore that one then.
0: This this sort of thing. It's good good to see you taking it seriously. My <laughs> <why> trauma, yeah. <laughs> uh, and And um, uh,
2: fuck off, Tom. He's telling a story. I'm not doing <laughs> pew. <pyow. laughs>
0: Anyway, um, so at that point, we're sort of thinking, shit, this is getting a bit out of hand. Not so much because I thought, like, we were about to get shot at any minute, but... You know, if 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 they're fighting like w- with another clan, whatever nego whatever time they're going to have for negotiating with us is going to be put on you know hold for the time being. Also, who is to say that this other clan haven't come to try and steal us off them? We don't know what they were arguing about, but it was clearly about us because when they were arguing, every now and again they would point to us as if to sort of say, "Yeah, it's all their fault." Sort of thing, or so then, for some reason, while we were sort of tucked in one side of the wall of the cave the uh, gang decided it would be better if we were for some reason if we were out of the cave uh, ready to escape if necessary so one fellow who had a big sort of belt fed machine gun you know in his arms and like bullets wrapped around his shoulders like Rambo took us out of the cave and then made us hide in a rock or just behind a big sort of clump of boulders which also happened to be the spot where we'd been shitting for the last oh. three weeks and then said, and he sort of just pointed, without looking too close, he said, get down in that ditch there, or we'll point to get down there, which was literally the spot. You're sort of saying, l- l- lie down amongst your own shit, uh, <laughs> um, because there's bullets whizzing overhead. So it was a choice of either lie down in your own poo and other people's, or st- sort of stand up and risk getting your head blown off. And Easy choice. It's fair to say that was a low point in the, <laughs> in the, in the, the, the sort of whole thing, really. Uh and that that was kinda you yeah, know, like, oh shit, you know, we may, we may end up dying here, you know. This is this is bad. You know, there's a gunfight going on and Christ knows what else. Anyway, the, these these people then duly disappeared and we never saw them again. Um and I, I do remember thinking at that point, I was kinda cheering our guys on at that point, saying, so Yeah, you know, go on and the old bastard was doing his thing, he was directing the guys. So it was like, yeah, you know, we're we're go beating bastard. these fellas off, you know. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. We we never found out what it was about they didn't tell us. Um they were very uh, again they were very calm about it. Like the, you know what once these fellas disappeared off rather than all having a massive go at each other they all just sat down council of war you know very calm and very quiet chatted about what what was clearly what was going on but there was no sort of you know hey, it was all your fault or you know why didn't you do this or that you know no panic absolutely nothing um, which is quite impressive. I mean, you know, if you'd been guarded by a bunch of, you know, professional bodyguards in this country uh, and, and something like that uh, had that happened, you'd have expected heated voices, not a raised voice in the room or in the cave, rather. Yeah.
1: Quick ad break here, partly to thank our official sponsors on Patreon, who include <laughs> our only Dutch listener, Hitch Melch Holloway, Cool Carl Lewis, Loose Lips, Sink Ships, Sarah Jane Phipps, The Mighty Oak, James Oaks. All killer, no filler, it's Ian Miller. Not Jeff, but Josh Buckley. Do you want to build a snowman? It's Elsa Brown. Abby to be here, it's Abby Kyle. Tim, The Mess, Eton, and Dangerous Dave Dodd. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Show, become an official sponsor, and grow the show today.
0: Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. Imagine boarding a flight thinking you're heading on holiday, but instead you get taken hostage by Saddam Hussein. All the tanks are in rows and they're all pointing their guns at us at the hotel. And I've never seen anything like it in my life. Imagine
2: being used as a human shield, put in the line of fire.
0: We're in trouble. We are under attack. Do not leave where you are. That man has been shot. He has been shot. My God. Listen to the secret history of Flight 149 to hear the shocking story behind one of the
2: biggest cover-ups in modern history.
0: We know the truth. We know what actually happened. I was there.
2: Subscribe now. We've made a lot of jokes and made light of a pretty serious situation because I guess it's an easy way to, to deal with it. You've already spoken about the, the sort of stuff you did in whilst you were being held captive in order to pass the time and the thing. And you, you think, well, why aren't you just sitting there shitting yourself the whole time and being, being scared? Because actually you've got to keep your mind going somehow. You've got to keep your mate going somehow. So yeah. you make light of it. but
0: There's plenty of time for shitting yourself anyway. <laughs> the, the, re, re, literally and, and metaphorically, yeah.
2: But we surely there were points where you were genuinely terrified and thought, "I ain't getting out of this.
0: This is the as end it dragged on." To certainly, see, you kind of go into a survival mode, and you don't let yourself dwell on that too much because if you do, then you start unraveling. It's a bit like, um, like you know, surfers. They say that if you're caught in really bad surf and you get dragged under the water by a big wave, you've just got to kind of relax, and eventually you you hope that you will float to the surface if you start to fight and scramble to get to the surface you'll run out of oxygen very quickly because you'll be using you know what oxygen your body has so you just have to kind of go with the flow a little bit i don't think there were any moments of utter sort of panic and terror particularly partly i think because we knew these guys were after money they weren't intending to kill us if it had been in Iraq or somewhere where I had worked previously and we'd been kidnapped, that, that that would have been a very different situation. You'd have been expecting that you would have got executed in in all likelihood. That that would have been much, 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 much worse. So, you know, in, in terms of the sort of, you know, the, the gravity of these things, it was at the lesser end of, you know, what, what it could be really. What did you miss most? Booze, uh, decent food, my girlfriend oh, right. being at home. That was number I mean, three. so yeah. that was number three, well, the 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 you, <laughs> <laughs> number three of the
2: list. Was that the official list you gave when you, when you uh, got back? Uh, mm.
1: Have, you haven't eaten goat since then. I'm imagining. No, no,
0: no, no. Actually, that, that faux pas with my girlfriend. That's not the worst kidnapping faux pas there has ever been. I remember meeting. A, I interviewed a sea captain, a British sea captain, who was on a uh, whose ship was hijacked. He had a Russian crewman. Um, who was asked three proof-of-life questions at one point. The first one was, what was the address of the house where you first lived with your wife? Uh, The second one was, where did you go on your first, you know, on your wedding anniversary? And the third one was, what is the name of your wife's first friend? He could not answer any of those three (laughs) questions. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the clear. There's always someone worse. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah, Yeah. So when did you first think that you might be rescued or you might
0: escape? Well so we had these um occasional phone calls home and then um you know, sometimes it was like I'm sorry we're you know, we're not getting very far and they wouldn't really tell you what they were doing. They'd just and then latterly there was like, Yeah, there's reasons to be optimistic that you might not have to be there much longer, which is about three weeks in or so. Then at the right at the end we had a hold up. They said there was a deal had been reached to get us released, and then it wasn't. And the kidnapper suddenly said, No, we've had an argument in our gang and we will hold you for another year if we oh. have to, which was a bit of a down point. Um, we had no idea why this was. And we had my my hostage negotiator, the guy from London, was like on the phone, kind of go, What the fuck is this? You know, he's thinking, Right, if he's getting wound up, this clear Shit. things are not clearly not going well. The the very next day, though, suddenly everyone was like, no, it's all right, it's fine, it's all back on. Kidnappers all grinning, et cetera. Et cetera. So that that was the. It, it really is one of these things where you expect a lot of false starts. So it, it wasn't until the moment where we you could sort of see there was a change in the mood music that we were finally sort of told right, you were you were going to go home tomorrow, and there's a plan to get you released. Yeah, and then you suddenly think, right, you know, my God, my you know. I may have a life still yet to lead, Yeah, there is sort of life, a second chance it's like being reborn almost. What did the actual like handover, how did that actually look? So it's always a bit of a fraught moment with any, I think any kidnapping really, because it's the moment where the kidnappers have to show themselves and therefore it's the moment where they might get, you know, trapped by the police or whatever. So they tend to be very jumpy. Um, they 're also worried about getting ripped off about handing you over and then not getting whatever it is that they were wanting back in return so it 's a bit like being a you know in a major league drug deal, and you are the drugs as it were you know there 's every chance that someone can go wrong, lots of people with it you know, sort of very trigger happy very jumpy um, so on on that day, uh, I think at dawn we were sort of shuffled off we were told to leave the cave and we drove to some spot or walked to some spot where we then had a rendezvous with some other guys. Um, Our guys fired their Kalashnikov three times and then heard uh, somebody else doing the same thing on the other side of a valley, and we're like, oh, what's going on here? They said, no, I don't want It's a signal. Then all of a sudden, about 50 of their mates turned up, so there's a gang of about 50, 60 guys, rocket-propelled grenades, um, trucks mounted with machine guns, all that sort of thing, small army basically they then drove us up to the top of a mountain pass where down at the bottom there was a group of clan elders or who from another clan who were going to kind of act as intermediaries to pick us up i don't know why they you know what what the dynamics of that were but um they said walk down to those guys down there um down that mountain pass and they will take you back to busaso the town where we were first nabbed so off we went, and they said, put your hands up like that, don't do anything stupid, and we're walking right behind you. So you're sort of walking down this pass, you've got all these armed guys on one side, God knows who, like, waiting down at the bottom, and you're thinking, like, some policeman is going to, you know, fire a sniper shot at any minute at one of the kidnappers. It's all going to end up in a bloodbath. Um, luckily, it didn't. They got us down at the bottom, and they handed us over, and then this old fella, sort of clan elder of some sort in a suit wearing a suit um and trainers uh said oh, right, you're welcome you're free to go um come with us and uh i think i sort of said oh, yeah, have you got a fag um uh, <laughs> and he luckily he did um and then uh and then that was it really yeah uh we drove off there's a little bit at the end just where you sort of think right um so this is it You know, uh, I turned to Musa, the the gang leader. I thought, I wonder, you know, is he going to sort of say anything? Well, I mean, what do you say? Do you sort of say like, (laughs) well. Thank you for thanks you know, for having me. We, we didn't, <laughs> uh, it's been interesting or something. Cheers, or, mate. Yeah, or... See you soon, yeah? Yeah, or, or whatever. Keep in touch, um, Moose. Yeah, you know, you've been very professional. We're, we're, you know, we're not minus any fingers or ears, like those sort of people you read about in the movies or whatever. And uh, he, he just, you know, as I was sort of debating the, the protocols of this sort of <laughs> unfamiliar situation, uh, he just turned away and walked up the hill and, you know, not so much as a remote, you know... It's socially awkward, is <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was embarrassed, maybe, yeah. Um, uh, and then that was that, and um, we then sort of drove back into town and um, back to Basasa, and then we were sort of picked up by a, um, the Spanish ambassador, no less, who, because Jose was Spanish, he flew in on a plane that I think he borrowed from the EU, actually, um, from Nairobi, and picked us up in a jet, a private jet, where you could smoke, in the jet um uh i don't smoke anymore but i did for the duration of the kidnapping understandable it, yeah um and uh, so you suddenly go to like rock star level you know. did you um, get shit face on the flight <laughs> no um uh i had a tuna sandwich um which was amazing after you know six weeks of goat meat and rice just basically tuna sandwich with a bit of mayonnaise on it and it, it tasted like <laughs> something that heston blumenthal had created it was just this amazing sort of flavours starbursting in your mouth Tuna um, sandwich but, but we did well, we, we did get drunk when we got back but um, the office made me write a story first about what happened yeah a nice three, 300 yeah. word
1: splash for the front double page spread inside can we turn it around in a couple of hours please Colin that sort of so chat
0: it wasn't quite like that but it wasn't 800 words for was going to be 1500 words for the following day <laughs> uh, then, well, uh, <laughs> or, or, no. The day after, they generally said, "No, you don't have to file this for the following day because it's already, um, already seven o'clock. You missed first, de- first edition. But for the following day, can you do fifteen hundred words?" I was like, "Yeah, all right, you know." Uh, and then they said, "Also for the weekend, we'd like a nice, you know, big long piece." Oh, Jesus. Listen, I've I've got to get on the plane, by the way, (laughs) um, because we're just, you know, it's about to leave. While it was a bit like, you know, I want to just get fucking pissed for the next week. It was actually quite a good idea because you'd had everybody looking after you and busting their balls for you in the office for six weeks. And then suddenly you could do something In return, it was very sort of good butter for the cat's paws. Because during the day, rather than spent sitting around just getting maudlin and so on, I had to actually sort of get my head down. What's cat for the butts paws? (laughs) What is it? Butter for the cat's paws. Do you know what it means? No. Do you not? No. When you, if you move a cat from one house to another, Mm. yeah, cats don't like being moved to like you know, from one place to another, they get distressed, yeah? So you put butter on the cat's paws. The cat then, when it gets to the new house, it licks, spends all the time licking the butter off its paws, and it gets so preoccupied doing that that it forgets that it's in this new house, and then by the time it's finished licking the butter off its paws, it feels like the, the house is the new normal.
1: I thought you meant because with butter on his paws, he couldn't grip the floor, so you, you could... no. Oh remove it from one property
0: i thought it's
2: a common saying what sorry your explanation of that saying is brilliant and i love that saying now what you've just done (laughs) of the reason they put butter on the cat's paws is so they could drag it out of the house So it can't
0: grip it's got it's got greasy paws yes but why would that apply to my i mean i didn't want to be like i wasn't why is he buttering his hands on a plane (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a valid point yeah (laughs)
2: Right uh, back to the right fuck it.
0: I think got slightly sidetracked there. Yeah. Um was there's a little bit of catharsis, but as I say, it was more just a good sort of bridging exercise between coming down coming back and feeling very elated to be freed, but also a little bit kind of this may all be a little bit weird to be back and sort of then, spending the re- the next few days not really thinking about anything other than getting it all down on paper, and then after that sort of you know you get the rush of meeting a deadline and you know your stuff in the paper and then uh, and that was that really yeah it uh, it doesn't strike me that you have nightmares about it no i didn't all have all. any PTSD at all really no which um i mean th- there 's reasons for that we, we you know we weren 't held for that long we Five weren't weeks. tortured, I had company, so with the the sort of the boredom and the isolation didn't get too oppressive. Uh, if you vary any of those things, then, you know, that, that's when you start getting into your PTSD. Uh.
2: I've got um, two, possibly three final questions, if that's okay, Tom. Please, Jay. Because uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to get any of these in earlier. So, that's because okay. of the butter with the cat's paws. <laughs> that actually is fantastic. Like, I've never heard it before. Have you heard of uh, Hope Doth Butter No Parsnips? No. That, have you just
0: paid that one up? Maybe. No. Maybe I have. Maybe. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I don't know what it means anyway, so it's really pointless me saying that. Um, <laughs> did any of your captors have an eye patch? No. None of them? No. Nope. Did any of them have a missing leg? No. Nope. Is your real name Colin Freeman? Yes. Because it just strikes me that, like, someone who's held by pirates <laughs> <laughs> is then subsequently released and you become a free man... It's just very convenient.
0: No, there has been a lot of comments over the years of the, oh, Freeman, a good name for being yeah. you know, you know, all that, yes. So that's yes. always been your name? That's always been mine, From name,
2: yes. From the birth of you to the day that you live now?
0: Yes, and it is much common. <laughs> it's funny, actually, whenever I go travelling around the world, there's a lot of countries in the world where people, passport, you know, the guy at passport control says, oh, Freeman, is that, that is your name, yes. Yeah, so oh. Clearly, it, it's a name that clearly in some parts of the world, you know, people sort of, it has a certain amount of significance. I, guess. I genuinely Perhaps thought an, you were yeah. going to
2: say, I go all around the world and people look at my passport and they go, Freeman, oh, you're related to Morgan? No. Oh, so you're not related to him either?
0: No. Nope. Uh,
2: so that's probably why my questions were left till the end, because had <laughs> they been put in it all... I'm pretty sure Colin would have stopped speaking to us and left immediately. So Quite thank, rightly so. Thank you for answering my questions at the end there. You're welcome. But more importantly, thank you for coming in and talking to us
0: about being kidnapped no. by pirates. thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for uh, showing interest, etc., etc. et cetera.
1: Colin, you've written two fantastic books. One is called Kidnapped, Life as a Somali Pirate Hostage, which is about your story. And you've written another called Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, which is another extraordinary story. Which, what is that one about?
0: That is the latest one. It was out earlier this year. So basically, it's about uh, what happens when you get caught by Somali pirates and there is no one to come and bail you out and rescue you. It's a story of three ship crews who, um, all from separate ships, they're all hijacked separately and... Uh, Their owners did not have any money to pay the ransoms. And so these poor sailors were stuck in captivity, not for six weeks like me, but for between three and five years. Uh, And also they were um, uh, quite a few of them were tortured in some cases very badly. One or two were executed and about eight of them starved to death and then a um, very brave and public-spirited man called John Steed, who used to be a colonel in the British Army, who worked for the UN in counter-piracy in Kenya, took it upon himself to rescue them Um, and the book is sort of really an account of the various obstacles and thrills and spills that um, he had to uh, go through in order to do that it was not a straightforward case of just passing a tin uh, around a few millionaires and getting them to um, raise money for a ransom it was a, a lot more complicated than that.
1: Joe that sounds fantastic to me fucking
0: hell
2: I don't know if I want to delve into that one
0: yeah, well, I wrote it partly because it looked like, you know, this makes what we've just been talking about look like... You I know, think it was the right decision to
1: make to that the second book. Yeah. Because yes. I think if you'd done that as the first book and then your stories... <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, meanwhile,
2: yeah. Colin, um, thank you so much, mate. You're welcome. Yeah.
1: Thank you. On Joe Marler's show... What a story. He struck me, Colin, as a man of immense fortitude. Like, the experience he went through might have cracked a lot of people... He almost had a smile on his face while he was telling us those little cheeky stories. To have gone through that and able to
2: uh, come on here and tell his story, fair play to him. Had you been held captive for five weeks, what would you have missed most? Food. Just food. Like going to Leon and saying, Gears the chicken satay curry, I'll have one of those Korean burgers, gears the GFC, which is the gluten free chicken nuggets. Um I'll have the Korean mayo as well with it. Uh, in fact chuck in some of those little truffle corn bites corn, corn they're phenomenal the cheese they put on them is fucking ridiculous and uh, oh no one of those flapjacks yeah that's what I'd have missed being able to do
1: so let me get this straight you've been freed you've been flown home and your whole family is waiting there at Heathrow and there's cameras all visit, blah 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 and Daisy's got her arms out and the kids got their arms out and you would run towards them at the last minute throw in what we now know as the classic Marla sidestep and go straight to Leon and just order the above.
2: Yeah, because they've not had me for five weeks. They can wait an hour. Also, I mean? if
1: you're hungry when you meet them, you're going to be grumpy.
2: Don't want to be hangry with... No, that's, and they know full well. They'll they'll allow that space for me. And I'll, I'll be like, yeah, give us a second. Just chill, chill. Need my burger. Would you get them anything off the menu or...? <sighs> oh, maybe... Fuck, I forgot those are uh, the, the the fries the baked fries the cheesy vegan cheesy fries with the jalapenos on oh
1: i'm glad we cleared that up joe um if you enjoyed the episode like joe and i did and you'd like to support the show you can now subscribe in three ways number one apple number two spotify number three patreon search for joe marler show Because for just a pound a week, you can get, number one, bonus content. Number two, ad-free episodes. Number three, you'll be growing the show at the same time. If you'd like another podcast to listen to, of a similar sort of ilk to Colin's stories, let us recommend The Secret History of Flight 149. This is the story of ordinary passengers on a trip from London to Malaysia who were taken hostage by Saddam Hussein when they stopped to refuel in Kuwait. It is a pretty incredible story of... Undercover operations of cover-ups of human shields and a 30-year fight for the truth. You have to listen to believe their stories. Search for Secret History of Flight 149 in your podcast app now. Ooh. That sounds good, Tom. Joe, it is good. I've heard it. It's excellent. Would you like to know who we have on our own podcast next week?
2: I already know, Tom. Doo 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 ba <speaking and singing> <speaking and singing> yeah. We got a songwriter
1: who didn't write this song. What song did he write? I need a little love like I never need a love before. Gonna
2: make love to ya, baby.
0: Oh
2: dear.
1: <laughs> Crowd Network A place where you belong. Podcast Network.